0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles or on your app to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be in verse 1 breaking into chapter four today by God's grace. Uh, Philippians is right after Ephesians. It's right before Colossians. If you're searching, that'll be towards the back of your Bible. Um, If you don't have a Bible today of your own and you want one, we have them for free. You can ask after service, an usher or someone back in the lounge. We've got a bunch of Bibles for free. And if you want one, we want you to have one. We believe God's word is powerful and uh, everyone should have one in their hands if at all possible. Uh, If you don't have something with you today uh, to follow along, we'll have the scriptures on the screens, and you can follow along that way with us as well. Uh, We are continuing tonight in our series. It's called Joy, and so we've been been taking a journey through Philippians. We've been going verse by verse through this powerful letter. Uh, It was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. He had planted that church uh, almost a decade earlier And uh, right now, he finds himself in jail and with some time on his hands, and so he starts writing letters uh, to the churches that he had planted and visited. Uh, And very interestingly, he writes this, perhaps most beautiful treatise uh, in all of literary history on joy, uh, and he does that from a jail cell. So we've been going through this book, and uh, God's been helping us through it to his glory. Amen. Uh, So this week... Uh, Sorry, last week we saw the joyous privilege and responsibility of living as citizens of heaven. This week we're going to encounter what I believe to be some of the most profoundly practical and helpful scriptures in all of the Bible. And I know I've lost credibility with most of you when I say these are my favorite verses because I have a lot of favorite verses. Um, But I'm just excited about the Bible. So don't, don't discredit me on this one. I promise. These are some of my favorite verses. These verses right here, man, if we could get the body of Christ to believe what these verses are saying, and walk out what these verses are saying, I promise you, man, so many of the things that hold us down and hold us back from completing God's mission, so many of the things that kind of become entanglements around our feet, uh, so many of the things that they kind of plague us and bother us, they they would drop away. There is freedom uh, if we will grab hold of what it is we're going to study today in God's Word. So I I commit that to you, and I've been praying uh, all week that God, by His Spirit, would do an incredible work among us as we study these verses. I believe that's possible anytime we open the scriptures. I'm just extra excited this week. I just wanted to let you know, all right? I hope you are too. Okay, so we're in Philippians 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 9, and uh, let's go ahead and do that. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Iuda and Sintihith to live in arm- harmony in the Lord, indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Praise God for his word. All right, we're going to go back to verse one and uh, work through these nine verses together. And uh, I'm stoked. So the first verse, uh, right off the bat here, we, we see several things just just in the first verse. Uh, the first thing I just want to point out again, and I, I know I've said this a lot throughout this, but I, I think it's important for us to understand how it is the body of Christ is supposed to relate to each other and see a practical example in the way. Uh, the apostle Paul writes to these people again. The affection that the pastor Paul has for these believers it comes through in verse one. These are not just people that he leads. Um, these these are really his friends. Look, both there's two times he says, "Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown." In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. He really, really loves these folks. He really, really cares about their spiritual well being. Um, and you can just tell there's a deep affection between him and these believers. And and that's that's something that I think sometimes, tragically, is missing in the body of Christ. We we sometimes act like clubs that have a, a general interest in in Jesus. And, and so that brings us together for things like this. But I think sometimes, and, and it has to do with the work of the enemy, he's working very hard to keep this kind of deep affection and care for one another uh, from being among us because when we have this, it undoes much of the work of the enemy, but it also propels us forward towards God's mission in a really mighty, powerful way. So, um, <clears throat> again, we, just, we see the beauty of that affection and love between Paul and these believers. Um, verse 1 of chapter 4 is really a completion of, um, of a flow of thought that is capped off in chapter 3. So, how do I know that? Well, the word therefore is a big clue, okay? So, when, when a sentence starts with therefore it's saying, well, because of that thing I just said, or, you know, however you want to say that. So he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, and then goes on to say what he says, right? So the question then is, what is the therefore referring to that should help us stand firm? Because that's ultimately what he's saying in verse one. He says, uh, you know, he calls, he calls them beloved. He says they're his joy and crown, but really what he's calling them to do is stand firm. He says, therefore, stand firm. Okay, well, why? What, what, what is the therefore? What's the power to stand firm going to be found in? Okay, that's verse 20 and 21. Let me just read it to you again. I know we were there last week. I'm not going to camp here, I promise. 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. I hear the echo in this verse uh, of Ephesians three twenty, where it says that he uh, who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more, far more than we can even ask or think. Some translations will say, "Imagine that God is able to do that." And he says, "It says by the same power that is at work within us." Here we see the same thing. He's talking about resurrection. He's talking about the same power that Jesus has to subject all of everything to His rulership. He's putting that power, he's exerting that power towards what he's doing in us. That's verse 20 and 21. So Paul says, therefore, stand firm. So what are we standing firm in? We're standing firm in what God is doing through Christ. The fact that the very power that subjects all things, all of creation underneath the power of this mighty sovereign God, that same power is being exerted toward what he's working in us. And thus, we can stand firm, right? Are, are, you, are you willing to be honest and say sometimes you don't have the gusto to stand firm in and of yourself in a given situation? Anybody else in here ever been there before? I have today, right? I'll be the most honest. You guys can look really holy and act like you got it all together. I don't, man. I know that I need this power that Jesus has to subject all things to his rulership at work in me to make it through a day, much less all of this life and, and being on mission, uh, the attacks of the enemy the difficulties of just being in a cursed world, um, I need God's power. We can stand firm because he is powerful and because he is exerting that power towards us. He's working on us, friends, and I'm thankful about it. It's, it's beautiful also that he calls uh, these Philippian believers his joy and crown. Uh, if, you, if you look at the word crown here in the Greek, it's not the kind of crown that like royalty would wear, that you just kind of get for having the right blood in your veins. But it's a crown that would be given to like a winning athlete, okay? So think of like um, a gold medal being put on the neck of an Olympic athlete, okay? So they, in that time, uh, they didn't do gold medals as much. They had the, the little wreathy looking crowns they would give you, uh, which I think should come back in style. I'm sure they will at some point. All fashion is cyclical, uh, which is why I just, I just stick with the dad look because I know this will come back and be cool at some point. So I just rock it. <clears throat> yeah, that's why, buddy. I know. It's all right. You can call my bluff. Um, so, but what do we see here in the fact that he speaks this way, that he calls the Philippian believers this, this gold medal around his neck or this crown of achievement, right? So Paul saw the greatest accomplishment of his life to be investing in people for their good and the furthering of God's kingdom. That was his joy and his crown of accomplishment. The truth is people seek after many different crowns. You could also call those identifying markers, they're they're, they're things that let people know they've accomplished something in their life. We see here that the only crown worth attaining, we we see here the only crown worth attaining, and we are given a tool with which to assess our own thoughts concerning these things. Sadly, there, there are so many ways to get this wrong. Some people's crown is their career, for some it's their wealth, for many it's their status, Uh, among a certain social group. For some, it is what they can do. You know, some people are incredible athletes. Some are amazing artists. Uh, Some people are just super intelligent, and they wear these things like crowns, drawing their sense of self-worth and purpose from them. On the other end, some people feel they have no crown at all, no purpose, no accomplishments, They look at their life through the lens of worldly success, and they constantly compare themselves with others who they think have done more or accomplished more. Now, whether you find yourself today in a place of feeling like you have multiple crowns because you see yourself as awesome, or you feel like you have none because the world wouldn't recognize them, you are missing God's best for you as it pertains to this. In chapter 3, the apostle tells us that he considered every part of his identity that the world would have applauded as nothing more than garbage in comparison to the prize of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. He says his crown, the sign that he has done something worthwhile, is the people that he is invested in the people he's poured love, time, and resources into so that they would know the joy of relationship with God through Christ. His crown is these people. And why is that? Why would he talk that way? Here's the truth. It's because people are the only thing that you can invest in that will last for eternity. That's why Paul's thinking this way. Friends, the the crown of your career will mean nothing in eternity. You could create the most beautiful art the world has ever seen, and one day it will deteriorate into nothing. You could amass more wealth than could ever be spent, but one day it will count for nothing. But every single person you invest in and every person you ignore is going to live on forever, either with God in eternal joy or without him in eternal misery. And those of you who believe that you have never accomplished anything, I want you to think back to every person who you have loved well or encouraged or shared the gospel with. Because those investments in people are the only ones that will last forever and ultimately the only ones that really matter. And so don't oversell yourself when it comes to the crowns that you wear and and don't, don't undersell yourself. By God's grace, we can invest in people. And we can make deposits into people that will last for eternity. And that is the crown that the apostle said he wore. The fact that he'd invested in these people, they had grabbed hold of the truths of the gospel, were living them out, and were then sharing them with others. He wore that as a joy and as a sign that his life was worth something. How beautiful. I just want to make sure I say this, this principle doesn't mean we shouldn't have careers or make money or make beautiful art. It just means that those things don't define us and are not our ultimate goal. It was a good place to say amen. You missed it. Amen. And we've talked many times about how when that is the ultimate goal, it it always ends to disappointment and uh, devastation because those things aren't going to last. We're going to take verses 2 and 3 together. It says here... um, I urge Iuda and Sintihi. Now, I want to, for the sake of full disclosure and honesty, I did have to dig to figure out how to pronounce those names, okay? Because that looks like Yoda and Sintike to me. But uh, it is Iuda and Sintihi. That's Greek. So if any of you have uh, Greek heritage, maybe that, the way that sounds on the tongue sounds right to you. It sounds wrong to me. But anyways, uh, just wanted to be honest there. I thought, thought I should tell you that. Um, Uh, so verses two and three, he's talking to those two and he says, he's, he's urging them to live in harmony together in the Lord. Uh, he calls to somebody called this true companion and he wants him to help them and also to help others. And so, uh, we don't know who the true companion is. There's theories, but nobody really knows for sure. Um, but Paul is asking him to help these two believers to squash whatever beef they have going. Okay. Um, Beef is a is a is a street term for like problems. I don't know if you guys know that, but I, sometimes I forget that the slang I use, you guys might not be hip on. So, beef is like problems or conflict. All right, uh, for for us young people, that's the way we say it. So, uh, but here's what's in, here's what's interesting. You, you see that he appeals to the thing that should quickly reorient our hearts in the face of any strife or discord, okay? He appeals in this case to the same thing that should reorient our vision, our heart, our attitude when it comes to any strife or discord, any attempt of the enemy to sow disunity among us. What does he appeal to? He says to the cause of the gospel. I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement, also in the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. That book is also referenced in Revelation 20. That book of life says to list all of those who have put faith in the finished work of Christ and are considered sons and daughters of God. And so pretty much what what he's saying here is, in light of the cause of the gospel, right? These These are believers who suffered with me in the labor, in the work, in the trenches of getting this beautiful gospel, this hope to as many people as possible. In the fact, because of that, in light of the fact that we have labored for the greatest mission that has ever been given to anyone, the the fact that we've been part of telling the greatest story that has ever been told, whatever that issue is, whatever that discord is, get your eyes back on the mission. Get your eyes back on the, the grandeur and the beauty of the gospel and let it cause whatever the issues are to fade into obscurity as they should. And that should be the truth for all of us, right? If we have an issue with someone whose name is also included in that book of life listed in Revelation 20, can we not, should we not quickly appeal to the fact that simply because we are joined together by the blood of Christ, the fact that we share a common faith in the finished work of Jesus, his perfect life, his death and his resurrection, the fact that we have been called not only to receive righteousness as a gift, but also to go into the world and offer that gift to as many people as possible, the fact that there is a world full of darkness that needs light, there is a tasteless dead world that needs salt in it, and we have been commissioned with bringing that, how is it that any issue among us could last more than a second in light of the mission and the beauty of the gospel? The cause of the gospel should decimate any attempt of the enemy to sow discord among us. Never, ever should disunity be able to survive among true believers. Now, I would also say, whether, so that's, that's for those of us that are a part of the household of faith. Now, what if you have beef with someone that isn't a part of the household of faith? Well, very quickly, the cause of the gospel should also squash that as well. Should it not? Because very quickly, I should understand, if I have an issue with that person... Really, my, my greatest care in interacting with anybody whose name is not in the book of life should be getting them the hope of the gospel. So I'm not going to stay in contention and, and, and strife with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to be looking for every way possible to build a bridge of peace to them so I can speak the hope of the gospel into their life. Either way, discord loses. The gospel gets held high. King Jesus gets glory. Amen. You didn't think we were going to get all that out of verse 2 and 3, did you? Look at these weird names and stuff. You guys just skim over that when you read this, man. There's gospel beauty in there. Don't skim these verses, man. The Holy Spirit put them in here for a reason. Amen. All right. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Friends, this is another one of those sections of verses. I'm going, to, I'm going to say here through verse 8. This is one of those set of verses that, that it, it's so powerful. It, it, it almost preaches itself. It almost feels insulting to even try to add commentary to it because it's so powerful and so practical. However, what I'm, my, my endeavor by the power of the Holy Spirit is to, is to illuminate to you the beauty and power of these verses today so that uh, because my, my firm hope and my, my strong belief is this. If the body of Christ can grab a hold of these simple truths, we're talking four verses here, but I'm telling you, what is contained here, so much freedom would be loosed among God's people. Uh, so much power would be found. Uh, so many problems would be solved. Uh, it, it, w- it, would, it would deal a death blow to the kingdom of darkness, and it would propel forward God's mission in the kingdom of light. and So please, um, I, just, I just want to know, do you see the power and beauty of this precious command? Just in and of itself, rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case you thought he was joking, again I will say, rejoice. First of all, this is written through the leading of the Holy Spirit. we got to remember the context of, of how and when this was written. The Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to write this, when he was imprisoned for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is the very same cause he is so passionately writing about right now. So it wasn't, I mean, how how do we think we would do if... If if some invading force ran in here right now and, and, and indicted us simply on on us sitting here listening to a a message from the scriptures that since we're followers of Jesus we're going to go to jail now and we're probably going to be sentenced to death how would we do in that are we gonna are we are we going to be looking to rejoice always? Are we looking to encourage others to rejoice? Or Are, are most of us, us going to fall into that default pity party thing where half the time we have a pity party over the difficulties in our, in our lives and we cause them, much less doing the right thing and then end up suffering for the name of Christ and then still have this type of attitude? We have to let this challenge us and encourage us all at the same time. We have to let the power of what's being said here sit upon us and cause change. This cannot just be something we read and nod our heads to. That's not enough. This command is an invitation to never-ending, impenetrable, unshakable joy. And I know to some degree this seems like hyperbolic exaggeration. I know that to some degree at first glance for many of us, we can't really believe that he's serious when he says rejoice in the Lord always well this is that's just you know you know pastors get excited and just say stuff sometimes right he's he's just i know what he really means you know what we think he really means rejoice most of the time christians should have joy the majority of the time our disposition in general should be joyful no he said rejoice in the lord always Part of why we struggle to believe that this could even be true or, th- or that this, he, this, this could be meant is that our experience preaches to us that we aren't always happy or feeling joyful. And so we stack our experience up against what we see us being called to here. And one of two things happens. Either we're convicted because we don't rejoice all the time or, or we're condemned because we don't rejoice all the time. And so then the, 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 the quick route to mental justification is to say, well, that's probably not what that really means. What's the Greek say? The Greek says, "Rejoice always." We looked. Okay, that one's off the table. So either that happens, so then we've got to try to we've got to try to massage it some way and get get it to not mean that. Or secondly, um, we we it causes us to really just question the validity of the whole thing because experience is preaching to you louder than what this this text, inspired by the Spirit of God, is saying. And I, I'm telling you, there's there's a possibility for for those things to be quiet and the truth of this to come forward. We can rejoice in the Lord always. It might look different than you think, but it is absolutely possible. Some of you might even feel angry at this, thinking, here it is, we're given an impossible standard, a command that cannot be obeyed. But God is not sadistic, and he will not command something that we can't obey. He'll never do that. But you might be sitting there and you might be asking, how? I hope you are. I hope you realize how big of a call this is. I hope you haven't just glazed over the fact, and, I, and hopefully through vocal tone and repetition, I haven't let you glaze over it, that this says rejoice in the Lord always. This is a big deal. This is not easy. This causes instant difficulties when we line up what is being called for and our experience. Does it not? Can we say that? It does. Okay. So we can't just glaze over it. We can't just skip past it. we got to figure out what's going on here. And I know some of you might be upset about it, uh, but don't be because this, this is a beautiful invitation to you from a father who loves you. He's trying to give you a gift here, friend. Don't scowl at the guy trying to give you a present because this is a good one. This is a set you free type of deal. This is, this is, this is a life-changing, eternity-shifting truth, okay? Now, uh, you might be asking, how is this possibly practical? I, ho- I hope you are. How, how can this be? You might be thinking, if only, if only we, someone could give us some instructions on, on what this looks like, how, how could this even practically really happen? I'm, I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you're thinking that, because what do you know? If we just keep reading, there's some practical instructions on how this is possible. Praise God, okay? So, these truths are precious treasure to those who believe. I am, I am not exaggerating. This is precious treasure to those who believe. And what we're going to do is identify some keys to unlock the vault so that we can enjoy them as we were meant to. Your father's trying to give you some treasure today. Hold out your hands. Don't scowl and trust him. All right? Let's work through these scriptures together by the power of the Spirit. Let's see what it is God has for us. Key one to getting in this vault of rejoicing in the Lord always It's to understand that true joy is only in the Lord, okay? Now, if this said rejoice always and that was it, this this would be just exaggeration and not possible, but this says to rejoice in the Lord always, and true joy is only found in the Lord. This incredible command, which is also a promise, by the way, must be rooted in who God is and what God does. So first of all, let's let's just think about it. Who who is God? So much could be said about this, so I'm just going to say some things to, to lay the table for us on who God is. First of all, He's the Alpha, the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is the creator, sustainer, and ruler over all that exists. He is perfectly holy. He is both just and merciful. He is also loving beyond imagination. He is beyond our comprehension in innumerable ways, not least of which the fact that he exists as one God, but three equal, eternal, and powerful persons, the God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. That's who God is. Now, what, what does God do? If we rejoice in the Lord, we're going to be rejoicing in two things, who God is and what God does. So the first thing, I want you to start making yourself shove how you're thinking about this through the grid of this. Do I rejoice in who God is? Does the fact that he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, that he exists outside of time, that the God you serve is not some lesser false God, but you have been illuminated to the beauty of the truth, that you've been brought into relationship with the God that simply spoke and created all that exists and sits in perpetual sovereign rulership over all of creation. Are you happy about that? There's a little bit of joy come up inside of you to know that's your God and he lets you call him Father. Y'all quit staring at me. I told you these are my favorite verses. If y'all don't get in this, it's going to go long and hard, because this is good, man. This will set you free. This will get the body of Christ to a place where we can actually be doing the things we've been called to do. Instead of acting like an anemic, weak church, not the picture that God has in his heart of what he's commissioned us to. We need the power that this has to set us free. Do you rejoice in who God is? Do you rejoice in the fact that he's beyond your comprehension? Does that send you into doubt or does it send you into rejoicing? When you're reading something in the Bible and you come to this place where you can't even understand how is that true, how is God eternally one God but three persons? What does that do to you? Does that send you into doubt? Does that send you into panic? Or does it send you into worship? Can you rejoice over the fact that you serve a God that you'll never, ever wrap your mind around? Does that cause joy for you, friend? I hope that it does, because it should. He's bigger than you. His thoughts are higher than yours. He knows everything you don't, and everything you don't even know you don't know. Boom! You should rejoice in that. You should rejoice in the bigness of your God, in who he is, but also in what God does. What has he done? Starting at creation. He creates everything absolutely perfect. He creates humankind, puts us in a perfect spot, gives us one rule, we break it. Immediately, immediately after being betrayed by those that were put in the most privileged position as as the pinnacle of his creation and those that were called to steward his creation, right after we betray him, he comes in, lets us know there's gonna be consequences, but gives us hope. Right off the bat, he starts off by saying, guess what, serpent? You're gonna, there's going to be a seed coming, I'm going to put issues, but there's going to be beef between you and this woman's seed, and you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. He starts from there, preaching hope to us and letting us know, even though we messed this up, he's got a plan. What does he do from there? He promises redemption, and then he calls the people, he calls Abraham. He finds a man of faith that is willing to believe him for a miracle. Out of that, out of that faith interaction, we, we have a son, Isaac, right? And then it goes, Isaac, Jacob, then the tribes, right? And then uh, what happens? They end up in Egypt. They're enslaved for 400 years. God comes and miraculously delivers his people from Egypt. He, ta- he lays low the greatest, the guy who thought he was God in that day. He found out real quick he wasn't God. There's another God, a more powerful God, a God that comes in and just, j- just w- without exerting much effort can lay you low, take everything you got, give it to his people. He sends them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea. He provides for them for 40 years in the wilderness. These these people that it wasn't very long after they crossed the Red Sea miraculously. And, and here's here's the thing: I'm not I'm not just I'm not just giving Israel a hard time here. Let's let, see yourself in the story because oftentimes it's not very long for us after we receive the gift of salvation. We're delivered from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light. It's not very long that even after that, there's various miracles. We're set free. God does things in our life. And yet, and yet we come back to this place of impatience and grumbling and God, why isn't it this way? It's not very long that God's got them in the wilderness. He's like, hey, check it out. At night, I'll be fire. During the day, I'll be cloud. Every single day, food's just going to fall from the sky. Go pick it up. Trust me. I'm going to take care of you. Your clothes won't wear out. I've got you. It's not very long before they're, 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 complaining, about the, they're complaining about the taste of the miracle food that appears out of the sky every day. Mm. And you know why that frustrates me? Because that's me, too. Because all the things God has done, man, half the time, I'm looking at it thinking, well, well, it could have been that way or it could have been that way or I wish it was that way look at what that guy's got going on. So that backhand was for me, just so you know. And I need you to put yourself in the story and realize you, you, would, have, you would have been no different. We do the same thing. And we need, to, we need to learn from that example and stop doing that same thing. And so what happens? God is exceedingly gracious, continues to deal with the grumbling, stiff-necked people, rescues them from other various perils, and then brings them into the Promised Land, right? Keeps dealing with them, keeps dealing with their. Uh, he contends patiently with their constant rebellion, back and forth. Yeah, we'll serve you. Well, it's been it's been ten years. We're going to serve other God. Let's let's get a let's get an Asherah pole thrown up here because you know things aren't going exactly like we wish. Over and over again, on and on. He he's patient with them, and then he ends up sending prophets along that start to plainly say to them what he's been foreshadowing all along. See God. God, God's been telling the story. God was letting his people know. He's been dropping breadcrumbs of hope through the whole thing, right? He calls Abraham, and he, has, he, he, he gives him a, a promise to a miracle son, Isaac, A boy that is born that shouldn't have been born. By the power of God alone did he come into existence. And then God calls Abraham to take that boy, walk him up a mountain with wood on his back, and let him be the sacrifice. But then God provides another sacrifice. On and on and on, man. All through the Old Testament, God's dropping these breadcrumbs. He's letting his people know. He's saying explicitly and implicitly, just in the story, in the way he deals with his people, he's letting them know, I'm working a plan. We got something going on here. Keep looking forward. Keep marching. Trust me, I've got this. You guys caused the problem, but I got a solution. The prophets come, and they start to say in a, very, in a very overt way what has been foreshadowed all along. They start to say things like there's going to be a virgin that, that bears a child. There's going to be a guy that comes along, and he's going to be rejected by men, but he, the cornerstone that was rejected, he's going to be the one that's going to save all of you. There's a Messiah coming, prophecy after prophecy, and then, and then there's 400 years of silence, and then what happens? Mary becomes pregnant with child. They go to Bethlehem. And on that glorious night, Jesus the King is born. Born of a virgin, exactly as was promised. He lives the perfect life that none of us could have. He suffers all the temptation that we do so he can be a high priest that's not far away from us, not unable to understand how we struggle. But he struggles just like we do, but by the power of the Spirit of God, he never sins one time. And then he, Steps in. He allows himself to be the final sacrifice, the final payment, the atonement, so that never, ever again would another price need to be paid for sin. He lets himself be brutally tortured and beat, stripped naked, and nailed to a cross. He allows himself to bleed out and die when all the time the command over legions of angels was his. He submitted to a a, a death uh, that, that is not rivaled in all of human history both for pain and the heinous nature of it, the shame of it. He died the worst death possible, suffered separation from God the Father so that you and I would not have to suffer separation from God the Father. Jesus paid the price that we never could have paid. And then he stayed true to his word because he said some things too. He said, if you destroy this temple in three days, I'm going to raise it up. And then it happened. Three days later, that tomb they laid him in. They thought it was over. They were all weeping together in a room, scared and scattered, not knowing what to do. But guess what? Three days later, just like he said, that tomb opened up. The king of glory emerged, victorious over sin and death. Do you remember why I just told you the whole story of the Bible? Do you remember what we were doing? I was telling you there's two things we need to rejoice in, who God is and what God does. And so I just told you almost the entirety of the story of what God has done. And friends, if we can't rejoice in that story, then we are dead inside because that story is our story that story is your story the reason you can stand here today not dead and enslaved to sin but with hope for this life and for eternity is because of that beautiful story of redemption that is what God has done he hasn't stopped there he did rise the Lord Jesus up out of the grave and then he gave us more precious promises like hey guess what okay I did what I said I'm gonna do now I'm calling you into the game Now, I'm going to go back to the Father. I'm going to anoint you with the power of my spirit. I'm going to stay with you all the way to the ends of the age, and I want you to take this message, this truth, this story to all the ends of the earth. Tell as many people as possible because this is going to make the difference on whether people live forever or suffer eternal death. That's what God has done. He has saved us and redeemed us, and he has called us into the mission of getting that beautiful story to as many people as possible. Can we rejoice in who God is? Can we rejoice in what God has done? Should it be difficult for us to rejoice in the Lord? It shouldn't be. But part of the problem is, a lot of times we're not thinking about who God is, and a lot of times we're not thinking about what God has done. We're thinking about all this other stuff. And that's when joy and rejoicing gets stolen. That's when it does become impossible to rejoice in the Lord always. But if we had at the forefront of our mind and constantly in our meditation who God is and what God has done, scenarios and situations and all of the difficulty of life could never ever, it could not rob from us the beauty of who God is and what God has done. And here's the other beauty. Not only do we see who God is and not only do we see what God does, uh, but the the other beautiful truth is, is that he does not change. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning, and the end. He is the king of glory, man. His throne sits above every other throne. He is loving. He is majestic. He is higher and, and far above any other god, any other ruler, any other power in existence, and he's not going to change. How do you rejoice in the Lord always? Well, the God, that Lord you're rejoicing in, is that awesome, and is going to be for always. So where's the problem in rejoicing in the Lord always? If our rejoicing is in him, if our joy is in him, if it's rooted in the well of his character and the beauty of what he's done, joy cannot be shaken. It becomes an impenetrable shield for us. It becomes a strength and a well that we can draw from forever. I, I hope it's impossible at this point, but you might, maybe this is still happening. Maybe somehow you're still thinking, yeah, I hear you. I hear you, I should rejoice in the Lord always, but you don't understand, I'm broke. I'm flat broke. Rejoice in the Lord. I didn't say rejoice in your bank account. I didn't say rejoice in your material wealth. Maybe there's nothing on that front for you to rejoice in. I get it, but the Lord is unchanging. His faithfulness to you is forever. He's gonna provide for you, and he loves you, and he cares for you. And so even if the bank account is screaming, be anxious, freak out, cuss at somebody, do it again. I don't care what the bank account's preaching to you because these scriptures have told you who God is and what he's done. And there is enough there for you to be able to rejoice in that alone, no matter what the bank account's screaming at you. You might say, but I'm lonely. Oh, dear friend, you don't have to be. This king of glory, this majestic one, this holy one of Israel, he's he's not only all of that, He said he'll be with you, man. He wants to be in intimate relationship and connection with you. Do you know you? You, I've never seen a miracle before. Do you know you? God wants to be around you, man. (laughs) God wants to be in close connection with you. Listen, I know you're totally sweet. Sometimes I'm preaching it myself. I'm a ref scallion. I know without God, I I am wretched to the core. I know without the fingerprints of His beautiful character coming and molding and shaping me and making me think like Him and see people like Him and interpret situations the way He would, I'm, I'm nasty and bad. I don't know why He would mess with me. But I rejoice in the fact that He does. And I rejoice in the fact that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, if nobody else sees any value in me, if nobody else thinks I'm worth spending time with, if nobody else wants to be around me, the very Lord of glory, the exalted one, wants to be around me, wants to spend time with me, and invites me into that kind of relationship, and, and has made it possible through his sacrifice on the cross. Because I think sometimes we struggle with intimacy with God because in us we, we understand that doesn't make sense. We know intuitively to some degree the, the, the darkness of our hearts sometimes, the sins, the way we think, that all of that should not be allowed into the closeness and, and intimate presence of a God so holy as the one we worship. But what we have to understand, friend, is that uh, God took care of that. God made it so that, yes, though you are imperfect... He's he's going to give you the righteousness of Christ. Yes, your robes are tattered, and they are torn, and they are soiled, and they are disgusting. But he's going to take those, and he's going to to shred them as far as the east is from the west. We're not going to look at those anymore. We're not going to talk about it anymore. And he's going to take these radiant, glowing, white robes that only Jesus himself is, is worthy to wear. And because of faith in what Jesus has done, he's going to let you wear those. Right? There is a dress code for the throne room of God. You understand? It's like the club, man. You can't go in there in your cargo shorts, guys. Okay? What do you mean the club? Oh my gosh. Listen, I know you guys know about this stuff, okay? You're not pulling one over on me. Um, Okay, let's change it to a fancy restaurant so you guys aren't so uncomfortable. You can't go to some restaurants, man. You gotta wear a jacket. There's a dress code to get up in there, there's a dress code to get into the throne room of God. It's perfect, unsoiled, untattered robes of righteousness. Ooh, what do I do? By faith in Christ, you've been given those. Do you you believe that though? That's what it comes down to. Do you believe what God has done for you in Christ? Do you believe that all that is wrong about you has been removed by the grace of God and been replaced? That he's made this beautiful trade with you. That he sees you as worthy of being in his presence. And then do you rejoice in the simple fact that he desires audience with you? I hope you do. I hope you understand How that should make all of the other distractions fall away and pale in comparison. You might say, I'm sick. How am I going to rejoice? Well, first of all, Jesus is a healer. Praise God and amen. But even if you're in the midst of that process and and you haven't haven't received the fullness of healing yet, and and sometimes that doesn't happen in this life. Sometimes the fullness of that healing comes when we're at the feet of Jesus. But ultimately, we know that uh, all things that have been made wrong because of sin are going to be made right. And so can we rejoice in who God is and what he's done, even if you're sick today, even if your body's uh, rebelling against you, right? Even if those microscopic little demons are making your stomach churn and bad stuff's been happening this week. I know all of that can be a real bummer, but I have a God who has promised me that even if that sickness kills me, I win. Can I rejoice in that, man? I know some of you felt like you were going to die over the last few weeks. I don't know what hit Ohio, man, but that was, that was crazy. But I don't care how bad you feel. Can we rejoice in the fact that even if that thing took you out, all you'd be doing is stepping into your final victory? There's reason for rejoicing. You might say, I'm in the midst of tribulation. Well, praise God. You've been given an excellent opportunity to rejoice then, friend. Romans 5 addressed you specifically. But you don't just rejoice in, in your salvation. You rejoice also in your tribulation because you know above and beyond the promise of salvation, above and beyond even who God is and the things that he's done in, in, in the overall redemptive narrative of history, above and beyond that, he's also promised that in the midst of right now where you're at, it isn't just things God has done that we can rejoice in. It's things that he's doing Right now, he is working in the midst of your life. He is conforming you into the image of his precious son. And part of what that looks like is when tribulation comes and when trouble comes, he has promised you, if you will trust him and you will rejoice in the midst of tribulation, if you will trust him in the midst of your trial, what he's going to do is he's going to shepherd you through that thing. He's going to grow you. He's going he's to give you the power to persevere. He's going to develop character in you. And you're going to come out the other side with a greater hope than you had before. That's the promise of Romans 5. So it doesn't matter what we throw out. It doesn't matter what situation it is that we're going through. We can and should obey this beautiful command and invitation to rejoice in the Lord always. Key number two to being able to obey this is to be focused on others. Um, In verse... Five, it says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. The word gentle here is, is more loaded than it looks. When we think of gentle, we just think like generally amiable, nice person, you know, um, not me pretty much, right? So uh, you think of gentle, you just think nice. Uh, but this, this word has a more multifaceted connotation. This is, this is someone that, this gentleness is someone that's not easily stirred to anger, uh, who looks over offenses who cares about the well-being of others. And and because of all those things, they they have a stability to their life. That's what this gentleness looks like. And so um, it's interesting here. I know sometimes it doesn't seem like these things go together. We have to think a little bit. It says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Why do you say that? The promised return of Christ helps us to be gentle in spirit. How does that happen? We know he will deal out retribution on the day of his return. So we can be agents of reconciliation. The promised and near coming of the Lord. The fact that, and I realize, you know, maybe you're thinking, okay, he wrote this between 60 and 70. Uh, we're, We're 2,000 some odd years later. So what's this? The Lord is near stuff. We, we have to realize that time language is relative. 2,000 years is, is, a, is a pin drop if your timeline is eternity, right? And here's, here's what I'm going to tell you. Well, well, Paul thought the Lord was near then and, and he hasn't re- returned in, in his glorious second coming yet. Well here's okay, great point. But also that means we're that much closer to this being accurate, right? When every single day that the earth rotates again, sun comes up, sun goes down, we're a day closer to the glorious return of the Lord. And so the return of the Lord is near, whether you think about it in relative time terms or just ultimately, man, this this thing can't go on much longer. Either way, no matter what the time frame is, the the very thought of his return, the the understanding what's going to happen, that he's going to come and deal final retribution against evil and sin forever, knowing that vengeance is his, he will repay, that allows us to, to let him handle retribution for us to be agents of reconciliation. It's a, there's a freedom in that. We're free to be gentle in spirit. It's also interesting that it says, um, let, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. So we, we should, those characteristics should uh, be reflected to those within the house of God, but also to those outside of the house of God as a part of the evangelistic effort of letting people know how good God is. As we reflect God's character, His gentleness, His beauty to others, uh, we hope that the loving kindness of God draws them in uh, to the truth of His gospel. Amen. Key number three, so that was key number two, is to be others-focused. Key number three to being able to rejoice in the Lord always is to destroy anxiety by the power of prayer. Okay. So we're in uh, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Woo! Here's another big one. Be anxious for what? Nothing. Man! That's a big one. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Okay? So here's the big call. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. So we 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 just have to we we have to force ourselves to figure out if we believe this is possible. The call is that we're anxious for nothing. Okay, I think the majority of us, if we're honest, have, have not been hitting that one perfectly uh, as of late or 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 ever. Right? So anxiety does grip us. We do worry about things. Okay. So what's what's the antidote to that? he points us directly to prayer. See, if if we, if we valued prayer for the treasure and the privilege that it is, if we really understood what it is to be invited into communication with the God of the universe who has all power possibly needed at his disposal, not only that, but has proven himself loving and faithful, um, there would be little room left for our, our anxieties, okay? So, if we're anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, he says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I think a huge part of how we stop being so anxious is by having a, a standard mode of operation that is thanksgiving. Our fleshly minds betray us, and, and we, we have a tendency... The most optimistic person still uh, has a tendency to somehow focus in on things that are worthy of ingratitude as opposed to things that we should be thankful for. The difficulty here is that if we're going to eradicate anxiousness, if we're going to obey the command to be anxious for nothing, we're going to have to understand the beauty of the privilege of prayer, but also understand that we we can't even get into that proper posture of prayer without thanksgiving. Psalm 100 says it this way. It says, um, enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. There's this idea all throughout the scriptures that if you're, if you're going to come before the God of the universe, if you're going to come before him in prayer, it, there's, there's a beauty here because we're, we're being given this command, which is which again is an invitation. Do you Can you imagine? Would you play a game with me for a second. Imagine your life with zero anxiety. Ooh, I see the smiles on your faces. Now, most of you feel like that's make-believe, like it's not really possible. But here's what I'm, here's what I'm saying to you, friend. If our hearts are overcome with gratitude, and and, and this is going to tie into to where we're going to end up here. We're going to talk about how the, the need to discipline our minds. But the, the reality is, if our bent is thanksgiving, if we are con- if we are constantly looking in every situation for something to thank God for, it it becomes much harder for those voices of anxiety to get in and to begin to speak to us, uh, sing us the songs that get us all lathered up and freaked out, and all the way down to you know the sky is falling and everything's over, right? Anxiety, and, and I realize some of you, um, there, there are there are certain physical conditions that our modern day medicine uses the word anxiety to diagnose, right? So there are are clinical forms of anxiety. And I want you to know that I'm not not in any way being insensitive to that. Um, I just believe the power of prayer can address those physical issues of anxiety as much as they can just just emotional or just thought-based issues of anxiety, okay? So, That doesn't mean, let me make this clear disclaimer, that somehow or sometimes um, part of how God in his wisdom will have us address issues of clinical anxiety is not to use common grace methods, uh, things that he's given us, gifts from him, certain medications that will address uh, chemical imbalances, things of that nature. Um, Anybody that talks like um, using common grace methods to address issues like anxiety address serotonin levels, oxytocin levels, all of those things that can get out of whack based on diet or, or genetics or whatever else. Anybody that says that th- that's a lack of faith, um, I'd like to just hit him in the arm with a sledgehammer and tell them it's a lack of faith to get a cast. Right? I, I don't think that's fair. Um, and we, we oftentimes haven't talked fairly about that. Sometimes there are Nutrition deficiencies, there are chemical issues that we have common grace answers for. Those are also from God. Those are ways sometimes that he chooses to bring healing. But what we can't do is just settle into this identity of, well, I'm just an anxious person. And just think that we get off the hook then because of, of any factor whatsoever, because the command still stands dear one but this command is an invitation it's a beautiful invitation to freedom for you remember the smile on your face when I said remember imagine your life with zero anxiety remember what that was like go back to your happy place for a second you there okay that's the high goal of God it's possible there's many there, there may be a multiple uh, variety of means that get brought into the situation to uh, to have that and it's this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This, this command, like all other commands, there, there is a potential for us to fall short of the mark of perfection in this, just like there is anything else. But at least what I want to do for you today is set in your imagination two things, the high mark and the goal of obedience to it. But also I want, I want to set in your imagination, the hope of it. I want you to imagine more your life with zero anxiety and know that that's God's desire for you. And I want us to put our faith towards that. I want to believe God for that, for you. That you are not riddled with all of the pain that comes from anxiety in its different forms. The worry, the the suffering that that brings. You can be anxious for nothing. Part of how that happens is, whatever that barrage of voices is, whatever, whatever that feels like or looks like for you, when it's coming a thousand miles an hour over and over again, you get that, that, that hamster wheel starts happening and it just becomes this spiral and it feels like you lose control. I just, I just want you to imagine what, whatever forces are, 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 are contributing to that, if you would imagine yourself stepping into the very throne room of God and standing before the unveiled face of the King of glory, what do you think would happen to all of those things? You think they get to just do whatever they want in God's throne room? You think, they, you, think, you think anything that would attack his kids is just allowed to run amok and do whatever? When you got the God of the universe with all the power and all the sovereignty, with an incredible love for you that he proved at the cross, you think, you're, you, you think all of your enemies' anxiety and all those voices are going to get to just run amok on you? I don't think so. And what we need to understand is when we, with thanksgiving, by prayer and supplication, go to the Lord, literally, we, we are in, in, there, there is a possibility of being able to, to come into his presence in such a way that, that those things must be quiet. And maybe you've never experienced what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, I, I know this because the Bible says so, but I also know from experience there, is, there has been times in, in times of prayer in times of worship where I have I have been before the Lord and I've have I, have I have tangibly felt such a proximity of his presence that that both emotional and physical pain literally was vanquished was gone things aches and pains that I had in my body man literally I've had times where God has come and, and just like, it felt like my face was just pressed to the floor and I would would just worship him for for hours at a time. And in in those moments, man, I'm telling you, I wasn't anxious about anything. I wasn't thinking about nothing other than how good he was and how powerful he was and thankful that he was messing with me. Some of you are still going, yeah, man, well, I don't, I've never experienced that. Here's all I'm saying to you today. The Bible says so, And you know, you at least know one guy that's experienced it for real. This is possible. You don't have to live a slave to anxiety, you can be anxious for nothing. Freedom is available for you in Christ. Key number four to being able to rejoice in the Lord always is to rest in the peace of God. Verse seven says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The precious peace of God. Um, the, the peace of God is such <laughs> It's such a profound thing that that's, that's, much, that's much of how the early church um, would, would say goodbye to each other. They would say, peace be with you. The peace of God is such an it, it, it's such a big part of what God has promised us and part of the the, the gifts that he has poured out upon us. Um, and it, it's something that I don't know if we even um, remember to ask for or know how to hope for or can even imagine what it looks like. Um, but, but this is this is what is said here. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what this means is you don't have to understand <clears throat> Or be able to see how the situation is going to work out, okay? But you can still have peace. Do anybody in here, other than me, have a situation in your life that right now you don't know how it's going to work out, and there's a bunch of ways it could really go bad? Anybody else got something, anything close to that in your life, something that's not just totally perfect going on? Okay, I see a few of you understand what that is. Okay, the rest of you, please write a book so that I can read it. Uh, That would be great. there's a lot of stuff going on that's, that's not exactly like we wish it was, or for some of you, it's, it can't even be said that gently. There's some seriously jacked up stuff going on, and it's really hard, and if something doesn't happen, uh, it's going to be really bad. How does somebody not be anxious in that moment? How does somebody not freak out in that moment? Because he said, if we'll come to him, and we'll make our requests known to him. And, and, and if we'll trust him, then what he's going to do is he's going to give us peace that surpasses understanding. Even though I can't see and I can't possibly with my mind conjure up a scenario of how this thing's going to end up going good. How it's going to be okay. I can still have peace and know that he knows. He can see ways I can't see. He can do things I can never imagine. He works in the midst of situations in ways I could never comprehend. Peace that transcends, it surpasses understanding. Do you, can we be humble enough to say, I don't have to get it, but I can still trust God? I don't have to get it because I know he gets it. I don't know how, have to know how he's going to work all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose, but I know that he said he will, and so I have peace and it also says that that peace is going to guard your heart and your mind. Do you see how this begins to come back, double back, and fortify itself? How the, it, once you have this peace of God that guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, that word guard is a military term. The peace of God will stand at the gate of your mind and your heart, and it will not allow those lying voices in that so often cause confusion and pain and all of the things that end you up in that spiral, that ends you up in those places, and you know what I'm talking about. You can have a guard upon your heart and mind. The peace of God that surpasses understanding. And it won't let the lies of the enemy that so often get you all twisted up, that get me all twisted up, they won't even get in the door. Which leads to more and more peace and less and less anxiety and more and more of this ability to rejoice in the Lord always. Key five uh, is to discipline our minds verse 8 Finally brethren whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is of good repute if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise dwell on these things Let me read you a couple of verses it won't take long Romans 12:2 It says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect 2 Corinthians 10:5 says this we are destroying speculations in every lofty thing, raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Friends, here again, are, are we taking any thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. We need to discipline our minds. By the grace of God, we need to think about what is true and what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is of good repute, what is is of excellence and anything worthy of praise. Well, all of that, I mean, that whole list, I kind of look around the world and then I end up looking back at Jesus because that's about, if I'm looking for everything on that list, I'm only going to find those things in him. And so I need to be thinking on him, who he is, what he's done, bring my mind back focused to what it is the word of God saying. And many times, we do our best to discipline our actions and our words because people can hear those and see those. Woo, I'm poking you. You feel that? But some of us don't discipline our minds, man. Sometimes, I mean, some of you don't discipline your thoughts or your actions either. And, and you know, I mean, praise God, we're all a work in progress. But, but but, many of you, can you can keep your mouth from saying crazy stuff, and you can keep yourself from doing overtly, outwardly crazy stuff, but but you, some of you don't even try to discipline your mind, to take thoughts captive by the power of Christ and make them submit to what his word says. Some of you just let this thing run wild. And here is the truth. It it will always happen. If you just let that happen, you you let your thoughts just run wild. You think crazy thoughts, eventually you will say crazy things and you will do crazy things. Let let me not say crazy so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. If you let yourself just think sinful thoughts, you will say sinful things and you will do sinful things every every single time. That's how that works. We we have to be more vigilant about what we're thinking about, What, what takes up our thought space and our meditations. Are we thinking on good things? Are we thinking on lovely things? Are we thinking on Christ and who he is? Are we, are we thinking about all of his precious promises and why those are true? Is most of our brain space taken up with, with true, lovely, beautiful things? Or is, is a lot of it taken up with the things that are tempting us, the things that are scaring us, the things that you know uh, are, are, are not right, the things that make us feel ungrateful? Or are we spending time thinking about all the... I mean, the, the, if, if we really... If we really could pull back the curtain and see all of what God is doing and has done, we would never ever struggle. We could spend the entirety of all of our waking thought life just thanking God for things. And I just want to give this premise to you. Even though we can't pull back the curtain and see the entirety of all that God has done throughout history and is doing right now, I think we know enough. We could spend the vast majority of our waking thought life just thanking Him for things. I think if we did that, we'd spend more, less, a lot less time Anxious and broken, and thinking sinful things, and saying sinful things, and doing sinful things. That, that was the last key. I'm just going to read you verse 9 and, and, and let, it, let it seal the deal for us. The things you have learned and received, and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You remember in verse 7, he said, um, The peace of God, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well now he says, if you don't, if, if you'll be, if you'll be a doer of the word, if you will let these things actually come and penetrate your heart and mind to the point that it affects what you do, how you think, how you speak, if you will quit just shrugging this off, if you will quit thinking you're above this, if you will quit throwing all your doubts and fears at it instead of just obeying it, if you'll just obey it, if you'll put it into practice, not only will you have the peace of God that transcends understanding, but the very God of peace will be with you. And if you're not stoked on that, friend, I don't think you're saved. And if you're not stoked on it and you're not saved, please don't let that be a dig to you. But I, I I would call to you today, please surrender your life to the King of glory. He's done everything necessary so that you don't need to try to live on your own. You don't need to live in darkness. You don't need to live in separation from God. Today, right now, today, you can decide whether or not you're going to trust in this beautiful gospel message. Right now, you can open your heart to the work of God's Spirit. Let Him come and change you, transform you. Begin to change your heart and your mind. You can turn yourself over to the God that made you and whom you belong to anyways. But for those of us who know and those of us who have believed... We must be stirred in our hearts and we must, we must call ourselves to account if to hear this beautiful promise that we can have the peace of God, if we can have the freedom from anxiety, we can have the very presence of the God of peace with us, if that does not cause us, if that does not cause desire and joy and gratitude to spring forth up out of us, if there's nothing going on when we hear these precious promises, we need to shake ourselves and understand the dust of religion and the dust and the death of just doing this thing too long has got us to the point where we are no longer living in the power of the gospel. And it's unacceptable It's unacceptable to hear these verses and not have fire stirring in your belly. It is unacceptable for the Christian to hear beauty of this magnitude, to hear power of these promises, and not let yourself be stirred, not only for yourself, but to not want to run out of here and get as many people as possible the opportunity to to have this for themselves through the power of God. Don't let yourself off the hook, friends. Challenge yourself. Stir yourself up in these things. Let's, let's see what would happen if these five verses, if these five verses right here were in operation among the people of God. Let's see revival. And I'm, not about, I'm not talking about the goofy stuff. I'm talking about a real true revival. You know what a true, real true revival looks like? It looks like hundreds and thousands of people by the Spirit of God turning from sin and trusting in Jesus. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not talking about. Uh, uh, never mind. I'm not going to tell you what I'm not talking about. I'm just going to tell you what I am talking about. I'm talking about the Spirit of God moving over a city, moving over a land. Do you, do you understand what we need in this country? Man, there's people bickering back and forth about health care, this, that, and the other. Nobody's got an answer. Nobody knows what to do. Let me tell you what we need in this country. We need to turn from our sin and trust in our Savior. And until we do that, we're going to continue down a road of brokenness and destruction. It won't get better. What we need is revival. And in order for that to happen, we need people like us to be stirred about things like this and to go to God and in prayer and in supplication come before him and plead with him to come and breathe upon our land. That's what we need. That's what we need. We can't be complacent anymore. We can't play church. You can't feel like showing up here one, once time a week and letting me yell at you like you're doing what it is to be a son or daughter, to be an ambassador of the message of reconciliation to the world. It's going to cost us more than that and it's going to have more joy than that. There's more gifts than that. There's more beauty than that. Come on, friends. He's given us our marching orders. The question is, will we obey? If I have the God of peace with me, man, I don't care. I don't care what it is. I'll go, man. If he'll go, I'll go. And he said right here, he said right here, if I obey these simple few things, man, if I, will, if, I will, if, I will, if I will reach out in faith and ask him to help me obey these things, if I'll even care about it, he'll meet me where I'm at, and he'll empower me to do it, and then I'll have the God of peace with me, man. I'll have, I'll have the peace of God, and it'll guard me so that I'll not be so taken by, by fear and anxiety and lies so often. It's going to make me a soldier. It's going to be able to do something. It's going to be worth something. It's going to be able to handle some business like I was intended to, for his glory. May we be a people who rejoice in the Lord always. May we be a people who experience the unexplainable beauty of God's perfect peace. And may we be a people, a people of prayer who discipline our minds by the power of the Spirit for our good and God's glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these verses. We thank you for the practical, profound, and prophetic truth found within them. We thank you for the beauty of these verses. We thank you for the power of these verses. We thank you, God, for the truth of these verses. Please, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, we are, we are obeying those verses right now. We are joining our faith, and we are, we are praying together. We are asking you, O oh God for what we need. And what we need is your help to obey these verses. We need your help to see the beauty and potential of what would happen if these verses were active and real in our lives. Father, I saw a room full of people. I saw a room full of people whose faces changed and this this smile went from ear to ear at the very thought of having a life free of anxiety. God, that tells me that so many people understand the reality of a life where anxiety is a constant struggle, where they are anxious, where they are fearful, where there are lies constantly preaching to them a counter gospel, uh, that, that they don't have hope, that God won't come through, that his promises can't be trusted. But God, you've been faithful. You've proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that you should be trusted. So please, God, by your grace and the anointing of your spirit, help us simply trust you. Not just say we do, but really trust you. And help us, oh God, to rejoice in you always. In who you are and in what you've done. God, we need revival in our land. We pray for it, Lord. We ask for it. Let it begin with us. God, we will do whatever it takes. We want to see your glory in the earth. And we know in so many ways, Lord, you're already revealing yourself. You are working among us. We see your, your hand at work, we see the fingerprints of your faithfulness among us all the time. And we are not ungrateful for all of that, Father. We are overcome with gratitude for all you've done and all you're doing. But God, our heart, our, our desire, uh, we, we, we know, Lord, that you, your desire is to see more and more people set free by the truth of the gospel. And so, Lord, of, of all the things in our life that we have desire for, that the, the, those, those lesser things are falling away. And more and more, what we want more than anything else is just what you want. Want for people to be set free from the lies of Satan and to be able to come into the beautiful light and truth of the power of your gospel. And so Lord, we just ask that we would we would obey this command and accept this invitation to rejoice in you always. We we ask God that you would empower us to be anxious over nothing, but to come to you with thanksgiving every single time we begin to head down that road of fear and anxiety, God. We ask that uh, you, you would, by your spirit, you would help us to stop, to come before you, and to realize that you, oh God, have the answer to absolutely every single thing we're struggling with, even if we don't see it. Thank you for peace that, that it goes far beyond our own understanding. Thank you, God. I, I can't even possibly fathom or understand all of what you're doing or what you're capable of, and, and, and I'm thankful for that, Lord. But because of who you are, because of what you've done, because of how incredible and great and sovereign and powerful you are, Lord, I thank you I can have your peace even when I don't see, even when I don't understand. Thank you for your peace. Thank you you've not only promised us that we can have the power of your peace, Lord, but we can have the power of your very presence. Help us to obey these things, God, that we may walk with you and be close to you the the way you desire in the midst of every single day. God, help us. Please help us. We need you, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give...